This is a party king. Party king. He's exclusive. I'm Kay Ellis, here with Mr. Robert K. Get ready. Interviews coming your way. Sit back. Get your notebook. Get a pen. Read some information that you need to know. Get you some snacks. Interview starts now. You're running for Cook County Board of Commissioners. Because I'm running for Cook County Board Commission in the 4th District. It's in the south east side of uh, Chicago in the southern suburbs, but it also covers an area up in uh, the north, northern end of the district, which is Evergreen Park, which is Worth Township. Now the district starts on the south end at Lansing, Illinois, Calumet City, Illinois. It comes into Burnham Harbor. Uh, it, it goes into a few precincts in South Holland and Lansing. It comes into the city on the southeast side at the 10th Ward, all of the 10th Ward, 8th Ward, 7th Ward, it goes into a portion of the 6th Ward and the 9th Ward. And it goes over to the 21st Ward, all of the 21st Ward except uh, 7 precincts, I think. Yeah, there are only 7 precincts out of the 1st Ward that are not in the district. And the 18th Ward, is only one precinct and one split precinct. Wow. And it goes over to Worth, Illinois, which is Evergreen Park. And there are a number of precincts in that, in that uh, area also. This is why somebody you should know because so few y'all right now that's your area you didn't spoke in your area so remember his name. Robert R. McKay my punch number is and mark numbers they changed that to mark numbers instead of punch numbers is 104 that's on the ballot as 104 Robert R. McKay Cook County Commissioner 4th District. And election day is March 18th so be prepared. You have a month to prepare. Hey. So, sir, let's get into this interview. Yes. Um, veteran. I'm a veteran U.S. Coast Guard. I served in the uh, Coast Guard from 1967 to 1971. And I went to Vietnam in 1970. Wow. Right. A lot of, see, a lot of these views weren't even born. I wasn't even born then. Oh, yeah. Still a wow. baby. Yes, sir. You, you saw a lot man, coming up in uh, in those, you said the Coast Guard, and um, and you went to Vietnam in the 70s, so that was a, a big transition with segregation and drugs and the the total of death that was uh, brought up on over there. In Vietnam? Yes, sir. Yes, well, um, Vietnam was... Uh as a, a conflict. It was never declared a war. You know, many people say it's a Vietnam War, but it was never declared a war. And Congress does that. Okay. So the Vietnam uh, conflict was uh, to fight communism. Okay. And, you know, we'll, we'll leave that there <laughs> for that because, they, you know, as I look back, reflect back, and you see what they, we were wrong in some of those uh, Issues that we became involved in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, while serving, um, was it a lot of segregation going on at the time, or was that dying down? Was the racism still going on? 
There was racism, uh, but the government itself was it was cleaning up much of its image with the with the attitude by recruiting uh, people, uh, especially blacks, uh, African descent, or we should say, uh, descended of enslaved Africans, into the military, and the Coast Guard was not uh, left out of that. Although there weren't that many blacks in the Coast Guard. And I joined the Coast Guard, and I was going to be drafted. And my father recommended the Coast Guard because in, when he was a young man and he was drafted uh, into the Marine Corps, I think in 41. And he attempted to get into the Coast Guard, but they weren't allowing that many blacks in the Coast Guard. Okay. So uh, he recommended that, and I uh, did go for that. And I'm now a veteran. Yes, sir. Uh, what advice do you have for the soldiers that's uh, on the way home, for the soldiers that's over there, and uh, for the future soldiers? Well, the main thing for uh, the main issues people in the military uh, should be focused on is education. Now, and the, the military uh, is more scientific now automated uh, computerized systems in the military and that requires uh, uh, high levels of education okay. so if you're involved in the sciences and mathematics uh, and extensive readings uh, that will prepare you more for military service however uh, you can avoid that if you're matriculate, matriculating into college and and uh, and being, becoming entrepreneurs, those avenues are required on the same levels as the military. Okay. Um, the transition from, uh, from vet to uh, firefighter. Well, in the, in the Coast Guard, my, part of my job was to be a firefighter. I, uh, I was a damage controller, and uh, it involved carpentry, plumbing, welding, bricklaying, uh, pipe fitting. Those things are similar to the Navy, which is uh, a CB, so we did not operate heavy equipment at the time I was there. But the, much of what the CB or the damage control, they, they crossed over into their job uh, qualifications and responsibilities. They, they prepared you with a lot of skills. Just yeah. name, uh, at least eight, nine, different fields. Right? Well, yes, that that was one. I I, uh, I like that. I would rather have been a uh, marine scientist, but I I see more value in in being the damage controller in the service because it uh, it afforded me the uh, many of the skills that uh, I can reflect or rely on now to to look into the uh, responsibilities with the county government and how, and when contracts are uh, put out for bid, many of the aspects of building or construction or renovations in the uh, county government requires some of that knowledge. And then when you understand that, you can better uh, understand who's qualified to uh, acquire some of the contracts that are letted from the county system. Um, so when did you, so you're speaking on firefighters, so when did you uh, 
make that transition? I mean, you start. What year exactly? Well, I, I, the exam for the fire department in Chicago was given in 1974. I took that. 1974, however, it was not called until 1978. They, uh, it was in the summer of 74. Uh, and, uh, and during that period, and uh, you know, after going back and understanding the history of why and what some of the time frames that were involved in becoming involved or becoming employed with the city in various uh, civil service jobs. And I learned later that the city was under three consent decrees in which they spoke to patriotism, uh, racism, and nepotism. And once the, uh, later I learned that the consent decrees were the shackling that spoke to hiring and firing political uh, uh, aspects of the of the job that did not um, require uh, skilled labor or skilled um, knowledge for a position. Okay. Friends and families of politicians, uh, neighbors of politicians would get a job, and uh, that constituted political hiring because an average person, citizen from the street who applied for a position would not be considered because someone else who, who was closer to or who is closer to a politician would get hired for that position mm. or positions in the government. However, Shackman in itself, um, uh, Michael Shackman was an attorney who sued the city of Chicago and he won the lawsuit. That's why they, they have the Shackman consent decree applied to the city because they must abide by uh, certain uh, court orders uh, ordered on the city in order to conduct their hiring, firing, promotions, and even for termination. There must be a, an outline, detailed process of an expl explanation as to why a person you know, was eliminated from a job, and especially when it comes down to the black community. Now, Daly, Richard M. Daly. Same. Richard, I'm sorry, Richard J. Daly. Richard J. Daly was the mayor at that time. And because he refused to hire the number of blacks required according to the affirmative action plan. And we'll get back to the affirmative action plan in a minute. But when uh, Richard Daly refused to hire, uh, especially blacks who were qualified for jobs or who had applied for positions, uh, this, the, he refused to do that. The federal government decided that they would not give the, the city federal fundings required of their allotted federal funds because the city was not abiding by the consent decrees that was set up. They, that turned out to be Shackman, Albrecht, and Quinn's consent decrees where the city was mandated to conduct hiring for blacks of African descent, uh, promotion of uh, their on their jobs. And in fact, they covered five categories. Recruiting, testing, hiring, promoting, and retention. And, and any time there was a, a blacks who were hired or who were asked to take an exam, uh, it was followed by the courts, by those consent decrees. 
but somehow the city uh, uh, worked around that. Okay. And we still do not have the, the required hiring of, uh, from our communities that was uh, mandated by the courts. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's history. So, and, and in fact, I spent a month in Washington, D.C. There was a group of people who took an exam back in, for the fire department in 1995. Once they uh, passed the exam, and the exam was, the, the list was constructed from the number of people who passed, and they didn't expect the, the number of blacks to pass as they did. So they created, they, they went back against the consent decrees and created categories, which was not part of the hiring plan for the city. Mm -hmm. Now the city, uh, once they found that so many blacks had passed the exam, they said, well, we're going to create categories. It was, highly, uh, was it highly qualified, qualified, and not qualified. That was not part of the hiring plan in the city of Chicago. So, so they, uh, this, uh, someone sued the city. Well, they filed a complaint with EEOC, and then they issued a, a letter, a right to sue letter. And once the letter, a right to sue letter was issued, it went into a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. The city, they sued the city, won the lawsuit. The city appealed the lawsuit and the the case was dropped after I think the attorneys representing the applicants did not file a, some paperwork on time and the court or the judge in this particular court dropped the head of thrown out and he dismissed it. So from that point on the the case was dead until I came in and uh, me and another young lady, Tony Stiff. We came in and we garnered 86 complaints of the people who had taken the exam. And that was in 2009. In 2009, uh, June, we drove it to Washington, D.C. 86 complaints were filed with the EEOC, the Department of Labor, the Justice Department, and one, one copy went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court received that in, I think, January of 2010. They ruled on it in late in the spring of 2010, and they, they decided that this case was still open. So they sent it back to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals here in Chicago and told them that the case was still good. So that's where the uh, 111 people who were recently hired on the fire department came out of their class. I thank you for that. If they didn't thank you, I thank you. Why? Quite welcome. And we'll do it again. Yes. However, based on the, the fit, we did some calculations. Now, everyone in that case was equally, equally harmed. And 111 people received the, the job. Out of the 111, only I think 82 or 86 passed. Everyone completed the, the program. Everyone did not complete the program. Now, they were all equally harmed. Out of 6,000 people who, applicants who took the exam and passed it, 111 received the job with 13 years seniority. And the remainder, I think, received a check for about $9,000, dollars $9 And from that, they, they took out the, the um, income tax for the state mm -hmm. and the uh, federal government. So I think their checks, their compensation was somewhere around six thousand to six thousand seven thousand dollars, 
and compared to receiving a job with seniority of 13 years, which can constitute to constitute up to uh, uh, equal, I'm sorry, equal uh, up to hundreds of thousands of dollars because they, can, they only need to work seven years and retire because wow. you're required to work 20 years and then you get a pension. Your activists were starting early. You was, you was in it. Well, you know, that was, that was, well, I, I, that was later into it. It was later into it, but then still, I mean, with the activists, but we're all activists for that matter. I mean, you're here, you, you're recording this, so you're an activist in a sense. We have had uh, media people, we've had instructors, professors, teachers, we're all activists. You know, we're fighting for the rights of the people. When we should be represented and we, uh, elected officials should be representing us and fighting for our, our just due, but that doesn't always happen. That's why they need to be replaced. Yes, sir. And I young agree. people like you need to step in and take up some of that, take that role on so we can uh, begin to move forward. Uh, right. I'll, I'll argue with you on that. Okay. Um, 32 years in the, in the firefighter, as a firefighter. Yes. You've seen a lot. Seen a lot. Done a lot. Yes. Um, can you can you tell give the viewers that can you give the viewers an insight on how much work that firefighters go through and um, the difference they make and, and the efforts they put forth to, to help people. And a lot of people don't really acknowledge like it takes a lot to do what you what you are done what what have you have done and that the rest of the firefighters carrying on doing right now. Well, yes, the uh, well in the fire service in any of your civil service jobs, you're hired to to perform a service in the city or in the municipality in which you reside or work for. And the fire service, especially when you see people from your community and you you work because in the fire service it requires uh, processes that we're trained for uh, to protect the citizens in the in the community or in the cities. Now, for example, if there's a fire in your apartment in, or your home in the kitchen, and you want to maintain, you serve to protect that that area and protect the home. You know, you're going in, and many times you'll see a firefighter going into uh, a building and break windows. And, and training, we're taught to, to raise windows or lower the windows without breaking them so to preserve the, the property as best, or as best we can. Okay. And, and when you see people damaging or going in unnecessarily breaking windows out when they could have been raised or lowered to allow uh, ventilation to come in or allow the, uh, ventilation to uh, take smoke out of a structure that has been involved in a fire or to relieve the, the, the smoke from the building you know, to reduce the, the hazard of uh, smoke inhalation. Yeah. Uh, that in some communities, they, they do do that. They will cover the furniture in a, in a, in a dining room with a tarpaulin to prevent water damage. Other communities, when you have firefighters who don't work in those communities, come in, they'll knock furniture over and break televisions yeah. and um, do these sort of things that uh, are damaging, although the insurance company, if you have insurance, will take care of that. But that can reduce the insurance, 
coverage or damage or payouts for a property that has been unnecessarily damaged by uh, reckless individuals. Mm. Um, the growth in um, African Americans in the fire department. Um, do you, now you say that was uh, 2010 when you guys uh, won that? That was 2000. That was 2010. Yes. So. Four years, four years later, um, when you was when you was basically retired, did you see the growth uh, of more African Americans or just the same number? I, from what I've seen, has gone beyond uh, the. I went in nineteen seventy-eight. It's gone back below that, mm. because according to that, they were when the firefighter firefighters went on strike in nineteen eighty. It was for a contract. Okay. And when the contract was signed in 1980 and, and completed, they required uh, the process called Equal Opportunity Employment. And when that's, that is in the contract. And Equal Opportunity Employment speaks to a certain percentage of, of ethnicities being hired on the fire department and perhaps all civil service jobs in the city of Chicago, but specifically with the fire department. It requires that 45% of the hirees or employment with the fire department be blacks of African descent or Hispanics. Okay. And what we've seen is that uh, of the 45%, it's less than half of what should be on the, on the department now mm -hmm. because uh, I think the year before last, in 2012, there was a group who went before the union to uh, lobby, uh, to encourage them to require the city hold off on the chief's exam. Okay. Because there weren't enough blacks or Hispanics when who were like, captains. Well, for, for me and the other viewers who don't understand, what is, what is the chief exam? The chief, def uh, the chief is the... Uh, as upper management in the fire department, he's a he's a supervisor. He's a manager of a, a district and within the fire service. Okay. Uh, the chief, uh, a battalion chief, works in as um, a district manager. You know, relate that to uh, the corporate structure. Gotcha. Now, the chief's exam was being given. I think in 2012, and I was I was away from the fire department. Someone asked me to go down to the union to sit in on a, a, a conversation okay. uh, that uh, that representatives were going to have with the, the union to encourage them to get the city to hold off and give the chief's exam because they were in order to take the chief's exam, he must be a captain, okay. and there weren't enough captains who were black or Hispanic to take the exams and there were people on the list to be promoted and they wanted the city to hold off until more people were, were promoted to captain in order to qualify to take the chief's exam. Okay. And the when I was there, I listened to the conversation, but the, the, uh, the city had already set a date and the union I think was gonna go against that date to hold up the exam so that these people could be promoted in order to take the exam, take the chief's exam. So 
the sergeant I picked up a copy of the uh, contract which spelled out the percentage and I asked how many uh, people are employed on the fire department so they gave me a figure and I'm looking at it and asked how many blacks are employed and when I did the calculations you know, less than half less, less than the 30 percent that's in the contract because it, it, it well everyone refers to it as appendix G that's the area where the the equal opportunity is located in the contract. And I said, well, you're not abiding by Appendix G. And Appendix G, uh, which is, again, equal opportunity employment, which, which, which spoke to blacks being equally hired along with the Hispanics. The Hispanics, I think, the, the equal opportunity, equal employment opportunity clause speaks to 15% Hispanic being hired. So it was less than half of them, I think it was like 7%. So when they are not abiding by their contract there, and the city's under the Shackman, Quinn, and Albrecht consent decrees, and the city, those have to be, remain there mm -hmm. until they comply with them, and they have not complied with them yet. Mm -hmm. And at, uh, at this point, we're looking at um, perhaps someone taking this back into court to get the, the city to meet its quota and meet its standards according to the contract. So to, to make that uh, happen, what will, what would, what would really need to be done? Well, there needs to be uh, an activist process with, from the community. The community needs to stand up and say, we're not being equally employed because this is mandated by a court order. Now, when you see activism working, for example, the DREAM Act, are you familiar with the DREAM Act? Um, heard of it. Okay, the DREAM Act is a process where children of undocumented citizens okay. can, can, can go to school from preschool up to graduate school free. Wow. That's only one part of the DREAM Act. Now, they might, the city was shut down, and they happened across the country, but in Chicago, 400,000 people, Hispanics, uh, they said undocumented people also, March from west on Ashland Avenue through downtown about six or seven years ago. I think I remember that. Yeah, so that, that happened. And when, after that, not long after that, because that spoke volumes to the elected officials. Now, these are, these are votes that are activists out here that, are, that we, uh, we have to listen to. Although, un and when you're undocumented, you're not registered to vote, but then they're mixed in with people who are registered to vote, so, mm -hmm. and they're supporting, supporting that. Gotcha. So we, uh, so that is what needs to happen with the this firefighter or the city employment issue. It's, it's, it's the city of Chicago who's still violating these consent decrees. And we just let that happen. It's allowed to happen because we're so distracted with other issues, not focused on the, the main process of, of our existence in, within these communities and we, we uh, allow these things to go on and we don't act on them. Mm. It's time to step up. Most, most certainly it's time to step up. He's, he's, he just basically, you've been paying attention, you hear what the man said, it's time to step up. You got to do our part. Um, director of Providence though, safety director. Safety director, yes. Uh, well, I started at Provident when we were open. Provident Hospital uh, was acquired by the county in 1992. Okay. And I don't recall, I think it was like for a dollar. 
but it cost uh, over $61 million to renovate Providence because it had been closed for, I think, five, seven years or five years. And um, they, uh, they brought Providence in and it opened, uh, the first patient was brought in on August 17, 1993. Okay. After it was acquired from Hood, I believe. And then they, it was renovated and opened. And during that period, they were planning the new county hospital, which is now Stroger Hospital. Okay. And the, the hospital uh, escalated up to where it was a 3,200, two, I'm sorry, 232-bed hospital. And they uh, was, in the early 2000s, I know the, the hospital was bringing revenue from the billing department up to $68 million annually, where I believe it cost around $24 million uh, annually to operate uh, the hospital itself. And, and Provident currently is being downsized to a clinic, and it was holding its own, it was, it was bringing in revenue, it was uh, bringing in, the, the billing department was bringing in uh, I think one year it went up to over $81 million in revenue brought in the previous year. And from that point, it was decided that Provident was doing too well, too good. So they decided that we want to shut it down. They started to downsize it by telling them, informing the doctors to stop billing the patients at Provident. And they, they reduced the beds, the number of beds is now down to 25 beds. They stopped the ambulance from going into the emergency room about three years ago. And Providence was supposed to fade away, but too many people were walking in there to justify shutting it down. So at this point now, Providence Hospital is uh, not budgeted beyond 2015, and it's uh, scheduled to be a clinic from, from now until the point where it's going to be shuttered. Wow. Yeah. I remember seeing uh, probably it's around 51st, correct? Exactly. Right now, 51st, yeah. around 500 East 51st Street, yeah. across the street from mm -hmm. Washington Park, Diet School. Diet, right, right across the street from I know right. you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I remember we used to drive past that. It's uh, right right outside of Half Park. It's yes. right there. I right. exactly know you're talking about. Yes. But that's, that's crazy. Now, <coughs> my uh, platform, one of my campaign issues is to uh, bring Providence back up because it was earning it, the revenue contributing positively to the county budget. It was, uh, it was ample emergency room, it stabilized patients, although there was not a trauma center then, because we did have a trauma center over at the um, University of Chicago. Okay. And, uh, the University of Chicago opted out of the general uh, trauma care and, and allowed only adolescents to come in as uh, trauma victims. It's up to age 16. And beyond that, sometimes a patient, a victim, must travel up to 18 miles to a trauma center. Why is that? Well, there are six trauma centers in the city of Chicago. When trauma first came in, in 1966, it was started at Cook County Hospital. Oh. It came out of the, the battlefields of Korea. The old, the old Cook County. The old Cook County. I read that there. 
Right. Well, you know, they, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the, um, the TV series *Mash*. Yeah. But that's that's how trauma was. Uh, the idea of trauma came in through that. Okay. That program that serving uh, the troops on the battlefield. You know, they needed uh, immediate care, so they took the the uh, the emergency room, the surgery centers to the battlefield. And mm -hmm. the tents. And the tents, right. So, in fact, when the trauma center started at the old county building, I think it was in the, cafe, in the um, physician's cafeteria. So it was set up in that fashion. It was, kind of, it was makeshift, but it worked to for better than it was before they had any kind of emergency care on that level. Gotcha. They may do. Right, they may do. And then it was improved, and then that spread throughout the country and perhaps throughout the world. Because then you would have physicians who would come here to train at the county hospital. This was an ideal setting because of the kinds of trauma that was going through. But um, trauma, the trauma centers now are located in the periphery of Chicago. There's six in the Chicagoland area, and there's some that are located without outside of the uh, outside of the Chicago boundaries. Mm. That's, that's trauma is one of your focus uh, on this campaign. Right? Yes, it is, because I'm looking at the zip codes in which uh, response times for EMS coming in. The uh, example of six zero six three three, as far south side of Chicago, uh, sometimes uh, response times can be over thirty minutes. An optimal response time should be twenty minutes or less. In the area where we are now. In, zip code where we are located, it's um, sometimes nine to ten minutes. So you, you see the, the contrast and yeah. response time, that means life or death. Uh, and you have that uh, travel period going from one, one point to the trauma center. Mm. Speaking on the campaign, uh, just a little insight on the campaign. How's it going so far? The campaign's moving along. Uh, the, the, my uh, information getting out there, my issues are being distributed in the communities door to door. Uh, I, uh, one of the, the, the pitfalls is that way, you know, raising uh, campaign funds okay. can be difficult. And that's the, the phase I'm, in, I'm doing now is raising uh, campaign funds to get these issues. How to fundraisers. How the fundraisers? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. The fundraisers, uh, well, I've had one so far, and um, it did bring in uh, a few dollars. Good. Yeah. Um, your focus for the, uh, when you do get your seat, yes. so when you do get your seat, what is your, what are, where are your folks? I was, I mean, we talked before, uh, before we got on the camera, you were focusing on creating uh, jobs for the youth. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Well, economic development is um, one of the issues on the platform on my, my campaign uh, to bring in uh, jobs in the community because much of the 4th District, 4th District is, is, is thriving because you have portions of, uh, major portions of the 4th District that are bankrupt and we need to get those balanced so that uh, j the jobs can come in. And I'm looking at one area with 
the forest preserve and creating uh, a food production uh, with agriculture. Now, the forest preserve has up to nearly 69,000 acres in Cook County. And we know that, and I've learned recently that you can grow three million pounds of food on one acre of land in a year to produce that much food. And I'm looking at the, the process of, of developing or having a land, an agriculture process brought into the county through the forest preserve and supplying food to, to county departments. The Cook County Jail can be serviced through this forest preserve or through this agricultural initiative. Uh, the hospitals can be serviced through this process also. Now, there's another agency with the, the uh, department the county has created within the last two years, the Cook County Land Bank Authority, which receives blighted properties or vacant land and turn it over to developers or develop that property for commercial use or for uh, its county use. And the, the job market for agriculture is, can be developed into uh, bringing youth in, training uh, programs, and rehabbing structures that are blighted that the city may, or sorry, the county may acquire through its land bank uh, authority. As he, he got some great things that's basically coming that you put in motion. And uh, that sounds, that sounds great. Uh, you got my vote. You got my vote before we even started. Okay. I hope, don't forget to vote for this guy. Um, Robert R. McKay, punch number or mark number 104. Um, getting to that, uh, that forest preserve, uh, I think that'll be good. Not even if you're not the forest preserve, we get some land and we start uh, producing our own. And um, that's that's good. Even if we, you know, you, you bring in the youth fan, that's great because they're the future. And a lot of youth don't really know about farming. They don't really know about planting. Some of them do. Some of them, we have grandparents or older aunts and. I know from the era that you had grandparents that you probably traveled to the south or even done it yourself in the backyard. Yes. So that'd be even even great to do for the, the kids to do. Maybe program, um, I know they do stuff in the summer, so that'd be that'd be perfect. They give them something that keep them off the street. Smith is doing something positive, so. Oh, absolutely. And another area we're looking at, and you know, the county does not have anything to do with the school board. Okay. However, I do support an elected school board. Now, when I look at how the county jail is overpopulated yeah. and with uh, nonviolent uh, crime issues, the there was a, uh, a proposal put out that the county should go into the bail bondsman business by providing a bond to people who can't afford to, to they would have to and just turn over some property or, or give up some assets in order to have the county bond him out of jail. Now, I would like to see an I-bond be issued to nonviolent crimes, so people who are arrested for 
uh, blue collar issues or white collar issues that, that make sense that are not violent that are not doesn't involve a weapon or someone being injured or killed yeah it made perfectly sense right. it's, it's a new it's a, not a new day but the the vibe and the era everything is is growing so these new ideas and these new plans that you have they all make sense and I see this stuff basically happening in the future. If not, it's, I think it's, it's time, the time of sticking to the old, you know, the, the regular blueprint is, is really not, you're seeing people doing the same thing over and over. But what you're saying, you're stating, you're producing product, creating more jobs, helping the youth, uh, working out situations with uh, trauma, helping people, that's saving people's lives right there. Uh, in the county jail, them them my big, them are some big things. I don't know if y'all already know like what this man is already saying. He he's on a mission. Also protecting the environment. No, we have uh, issues where on the southeast side of Chicago, in the tenth ward, there's a, a uh, hazardous material called pet coke, P E T C O K E. And it's a mound of, and perhaps mounds of, of tar, powdered tar. It's a petroleum byproduct that's blowing into the environment, it's blowing into the air, it's blowing into people's homes, getting into their, their yards, and blowing into the waterways. But it's because it's not contained and it has not been properly uh, uh, licensed to be in, in the area. Because it, the, I've reviewed the data and the material safety data sheets on this material, and it's that hazardous material, but some people are saying, you know, it's not that hazardous, but then they wouldn't want it in their community. And the people who have it there, who have placed it on that site, are not that concerned about um, protecting the environment or the inhabitants or the citizens within the 10th Ward. Do you think the community really knows um, how deadly that 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 uh, chemical is? It, no, the community only can go about what. Uh, well, the ones who are affected, they understand it because there have been complaints of respiratory uh, issues. Uh, some people may have been affected more seriously than has been reported. That, that remains to be seen. So until it's a, a thorough investigation of the the effects of this on the community and on the inhabitants and on the environment, uh, we won't know until that, that uh, research has been released. So what should the viewers, the community do to, uh, to basically make an effort to, to, to do something, to do their part until you get to where you need to be to handle it? What should they do? To, uh, to basically get rid of this chemical or get it out of their neighborhood. Well, they have it properly contained. Yes. They, they need to get with their elected officials, their aldermen, their state rep, the county commissioners, and even their uh, congressmen who resides in the area because when it gets into the waterways, that's, uh, that's a federal issue also. Along with EPA, uh, but the state of Illinois has its own uh, agencies, which are not adequate because many times they're underfunded to go out and conduct the investigations 
or to do the research in order to inform the public as to the dangers in which they are existing in, and to, in order to uh, force the, uh, the companies who brought it there to clean it up. It's not hard to find these people. Hey, I do is Google, 311, something. Let's, let's get this in motion. Um, the campaign. The campaign. Your number. My number is 104. Robert R. McKay. I'm on the ballot for Cook County Commissioner, Fourth District, and that resides in the southeast side of, of Chicago, in the southern suburbs just below Chicago, on the east side, Lansing, Illinois, Calumet City, Burnham, Dalton, South Holland, Tenth Ward, Eighth, Seventh. 6th, 9th, 21st, 18th Ward, and also Evergreen Park, which is Worth Township. That's a lot of y'all that he named just in the first half. So do your part. This is the guy that you need to know who we need to put in position to make these things work, to better ourselves in the future. Uh, where can people reach you if they want to make a donation or if they want to uh, uh, support you or any way uh, how can they contact you okay my uh, my direct phone number now is 312 343 4337 I have an email address it's rrmckay at yahoo.com and my office is located at 353 West 95th Street. That's adjacent to Trinity Church on 95th Street. In fact, it's across the street on the south side of the street, but on the east side of the tracks. Trinity is located on the west side of the tracks. We're right there on the south side of Chicago. Election day is March 18th. Uh, anything you would like to close out with or cover, go over, uh, your main objectives again for the people? Well, I'd like to say for the, the citizens in Chicago, on the south side, especially uh, in the 4th District of Cook County, we'd like to have better health care service and better uh, emergency services provided to you. And that can be done by, uh, by voting for me, but I will be uh, advocating uh, to get the trauma center on the south side of Chicago, and preferably uh, Provident Hospital, but there are other locations where this, they can be uh, placed. So, because uh, trauma in, it comes from automobile crashes, uh, gunshots, comes from uh, regular accidents, from people falling, uh, heart attacks, they tell you if you are suffering a stroke, sometimes you can prevent a stroke from being as serious as uh, a severe stroke or even a heart attack by getting to the emergency room as soon as possible. And sometimes that requires minutes. And sometimes when, when you are suffering a stroke or heart attack, you, have, you can remain conscious long enough to get help and also you may remain conscious long enough to get yourself to the emergency room. So minutes count. When you do not have a, a, a trauma center in your immediate vicinity, it can uh, 
be devastating to you. Um, getting, getting, jumping in the closing. Silver Star Banner Award. The Silver Star Banner Award was a is a is an award given by the Cook County Board, and I was I, I did receive the Cook County. I'm sorry, I did receive the Silver Star Banner I think in 2010, two years ago, and it was awarded in the County Board Chambers by the Cook County Commissioners and the County Board President uh, Tony Preckwinkle. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And that that uh, Cook County, I'm sorry, that Silver Star Banner Award was given to Vietnam veterans who were injured. I'm a disabled veteran and you know, suffering from some issues uh, from Vietnam, Agent Orange, and some other uh, hazardous material uh, related issues that I was exposed to in, uh, in the war. Gotcha. Uh, how did you feel when you received this award? Because it's not, this award is, I did some research, and it's not given to a lot of people. No, it's not given to a lot of people. Like I mentioned a minute ago, it's, it's awarded to uh, disabled veterans, veterans who were injured, and uh, many of them do not choose to come forward. There's, uh, many times a veteran, once he's been discharged, is disenchanted with uh, some of the services that we've been have not been provided through the VA through continuous care when, when it is needed. And many times it's been denied, but it takes an effort, and I'm also fighting with that, being an activist with the VA system, because uh, we look at how in Illinois, it's 49th out of the 50 states in taking care of its veterans. And I think it's behind Puerto Rico for that matter. Wow. Uh Closing, sir. I want you to look, look, look into the reviewer's eyes and uh, speak to the youth, the the veterans, the future firefighters and, and firefighters that's on their way to retirement, and just the people in general. Uh, any inspiring words or encouragement? And uh, the floor is yours. Well, I'd like to say to the community. Uh, that we, to the youth, that we prepare ourselves uh, better than we have done to this point, because I see that uh, this world is, is globally uh, focused. Uh, world that we're involved in now is more scientific in its education. It's more focused in providing uh, uh, the kinds of education that is needed to matriculate through, on up through, becoming an entrepreneur, uh, becoming a, a professional, and or even if you're gonna be involved in the military, they're requiring more skilled and more highly educated people to perform military duties. So if you choose that route, education is the key in the beginning, matriculating on up through upper levels in life. So that is my main message, is that we prepare ourselves everyone can do that and the where you're not getting balanced education there needs to be activism moving towards getting those kinds of educational tools and courses in our schools that are not providing it we know that college preparatory schools do get it 
magnet schools do get it, but the general edu population uh, schools are not getting the, the kinds of education or balanced uh, uh, information to move forward and to become more involved in, in our society and with, uh, so that we can become uh, qualified to get contracts with the city of Chicago, the federal government, or Cook County that we have provided the education necessary to, to prepare ourselves. The education necessary to, to get us into areas where we become bonded, certified, so that we're qualified to do anything that, that, that we see uh, major construction sites uh, performing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Kay Ellis. This has been your one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you.